At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare covering the sports betting landscape from coast to coast this is betting across america on vsin the sports betting network Number two, betting across America, presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross, alongside Amal Shaw. And Amal, you know, it's interesting because we've obviously got the Final Four today. We're going to be talking more about that in the next two hours here on Betting Across America. But there was some news this week in the NFL that switched some numbers around a little bit, and I wanted to pick your brain about it. One of those moves was Bobby Wagner. Now, Bobby Wagner, of course, leaving Seattle as they boy, Seattle right now. And they are now 11-1 to to win the West, by the way. Now, they don't have Russell Wilson. Legion of Boom is all gone. And now Bobby Wagner, your potential Hall of Fame linebacker, you have now jettisoned, and he is gone to the L.A. Rams. I was not in on this Rams team as getting better. And so you look at some of the moves that they've made now. They let Von Miller go. He's in Buffalo. Okay, and say what you want about Von Miller. He played his best football down the stretch of the season when they needed him to play his best football. They've re-signed Matty Stafford. He's going to be there now for the foreseeable future. So you get him back. Don't know about Odell Beckham Jr. He's still there out in the ether waiting to see how his knee's going to respond from his surgery. The Rams now plus 150. I go, well, who's going to beat them? And how in the world do you keep them under 11 wins? Remember, 17-game season these days. Because the Seahawks have gotten precipitously worse. I don't know what the Niners are going to do. Are they going to bring back Jimmy G now? If they do, that could be a potential spot that the Rams could struggle with. But are you believing in Trey Lance? And Arizona feels like a mess. I feel like the Rams, not just because of Bobby Wagner, but the other corresponding moves, not only are they the team to beat, I got to play that over because I think the division's gotten a lot weaker. I, I think you make a lot of compelling arguments. The only pushback I'll give you is I want to wait until the schedule comes out. And the reason why I say that is if a team like the Rams winds up with a crucial game down the stretch against an opponent that would probably be in uh, in a position to get in the postseason. I think it can make a difference on a total. Uh, but I, I, everything else you made, uh, made the argument on, I agree with you. I, I don't think San Francisco's got an answer at quarterback. I think the Seahawks are going to struggle massively. I, I am a huge Russell Wilson fan. I think this guy is going to obviously be a Hall of Famer, but I think he makes such a difference on the team in terms of what he's able to do. Denver's going to be appreciably better. The one thing I don't agree with, though, is Buffalo paying mm. Von Miller all oh this money. I, I don't get it. A load of money. I think Von Miller is a great player, or at least was a great player. I thought he was a, a terrific down the stretch, but I thought he benefited from having 99 in the middle of that field, and that makes a big difference. It totally does. And, again, I am 
I've got some good friends in this industry that love the Rams, so I have a predisposition to hate them. But I just look at them and I go, man, that, that looks like to me, loaded for bear. I think they're going to be, I don't know, the, the top dog in the NFC with Tom Brady back. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, man, they just look like right now, I, I'm not saying it's a lock to win the division, but it's going to be really hard-pressed. The one caveat is if San Francisco can walk back this Jimmy G thing, because, look, Jimmy went out, remember, after they lost somehow. Can't believe they still lost that Rams game somehow. But he went ba- basically said goodbye to the media. You guys have been great, been good to me. It was basically a via Candias, I'm out of here. And now he's got shoulder surgery. He can't throw a football till June. It's still April. There's been nobody biting on the Jimmy G market. We assume that Kyle is going to turn over the keys of this Porsche and give it to Trey Lance. But I'm just not, I don't like what I saw. It's He's a rookie. I get it. Let's see if he can make that big leap here in the offseason to be ready to go. Who's the quarterback week one for San Francisco? Remains to be seen. By the way, I like your Viacon Dios reference. Always a good point break reference in there. Uh, <laughs> but to me, you know, I look at this 49ers team. I have a lot of questions and concerns from an offensive standpoint because I, look, there was probably nobody more critical of Jimmy Garoppolo than I was last year. I thought he was the thing that held that team back from winning a Super Bowl. You look around, Debo Samuel and George Kittle as a combination of running back receiver, probably the best combo in the National Football League. Defensively, they were elite. Um, I I think you look at, they, they did it with even with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I think this team is built to win right now. The concern is the quarterback play. I don't believe Shanahan believes in Garoppolo or Trey Lance. Wow. I, I thought they made a huge mistake in drafting Trey Lance. Michael Lombardi had a great point. He said last year, Trey Lance is a year away from being a year away. So in essence, he's saying probably by year three, he should be ready to play. Um, you know, we saw that with Mitchell Trubisky. When you draft a quarterback that plays one year of college ball, I, I think that's a huge reach. You got to let <laughs> gotta guys, play. you got to play. You got to see what they can do. And to me, I, I think, the 49ers are a team that can contend because when you look at the NFC, I don't believe the Rams would be as good as they were. I thought they benefited. I had the Rams to win the Super uh, excuse me, the NFC before the season started. But I thought throughout the middle of the season and even in the postseason, I thought they benefited from a couple of hiccups and injuries with Tampa and the Green Bay Packers. I don't see any clear-cut team in the NFC this year, even though I'm not high on the 49ers. I think San Francisco's got to be a fourth choice in the NFC to get through. I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> Let's talk about the, the NFC in specifics then, because Bruce Arians has resigned. I think it caught some people by surprise. Todd Bowles is now in that succession program, and he is now the new head coach in Tampa. I, I was saying before, ironically, the Rams torched Todd Bowles' defense in that playoff game. I was like, Bowles should get another spot. I, I didn't know if it would be somewhere else, not knowing that Bruce Arians was going to do this. When you look at the Bucks now, and they're the overwhelming favorite to win the South, you got to lay $3. Oof. Speaking of divisions, my goodness, that's an awful, awful division. Like, we're going to talk to the cows come home for the next year how great the AFC West is. Look right. at this division. My goodness. Okay, famous Jameis is back in the Big Easy, so they're 5-1. to one. I don't know what the hell the Panthers are doing. I have no idea what their track plan is, who the quarterback's going to be. Is it going to be Sam Darnold? They're going to draft somebody? I don't know. And the Falcons, no Matty Ice, he gone. So they're 12-1. to one. I mean, it feels like everybody else is a long way away from playing catch-up to Todd Bowles and Tom Brady. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, though, the the Saints and Dennis Allen have a blueprint of how to beat Tampa. They do. And, you know, you go back to the Super Bowl run by the Buccaneers. If Jared Cook doesn't fumble that football, I believe the Saints were up seven at the time. They're about another first down away from getting in Will Lutz range to go up ten. So, 
you know, it, they were right there. Jameis is a wild card because I think Jameis can be uh, effective. Can they get him to cut down on the turnovers? Remember, this is still a first overall pick. It's not like this guy couldn't play at all. He won a national championship at Florida State his freshman year, won a Heisman Trophy. He's had a lot of success. Um, but I think Tampa is going to be the default winner of this division because I don't know if any team offensively is good enough to challenge Tampa. Get ready for this talk of, like, regulating the NFC. Did you Just look at the win totals that we just showed you. Right, out. You take away the division leaders that we believe are going to win these divisions. There's not a lot of competition in. You can go to the AFC North, AFC West, maybe even the AFC East, and there's competition. Look at these win totals. I'm all. This conference looks awful on paper. D- Dave, I don't like your statement, and the reason is we've seen this in the AFC in the past. Remember in the in between Super Bowl, what was it, 16 and 25, when the NFC was winning basically every Super Bowl. I, I Look mean, at those teams, them all. I, I understand that what my point being is this is all cyclical, right? Like there's yes, going to yes, be, yes. you know, so I, I think it's a bit of an overreaction. I will say this. The AFC West on paper is the best division I've ever seen. The win totals, three teams in yeah. one division have win totals over 10, 10 and a half. You got to get 11 wins potentially in three teams. That's like the whole NFC. That's the best of the NFC in what, one division. If you just add up the win totals, what does it come out to 40? It's, it's, it would be for the for the West. Yeah. If you want to play the overs, that would be 11, 11, 11. Well, if you go with the overs. Yeah, and nine on the Raiders. Eight yeah. and a half. You got to get nine to get there. Yeah. The Raiders, by the way, are a playoff team last year, and they're getting disrespected. Yeah, so they got to win 42 games combined out of 68. I mean, and obviously they're going to play each other. So you got to take that into consideration. But I think, would it surprise you if the Raiders won the division, if the Chargers won the division, or the Broncos? No, that's the problem. Yeah. None of those would surprise me. It would surprise me. Look, the Dolphins are making moves, and we'll find out how Tyreek Hill is going to work there. But at least I, I kind of look at it and go, I respect the fact. We know the Patriots are going to push the Bills. They always do. And Bill Belichick would never count them out. That division's getting better. Like, you can look at the other divisions. The AFC North is getting better. The AFC East is getting better. The West is a monster now. It has gotten better. It's hard to say that about a lot of the divisions in the NFC. That's the only the difference that I make there. So if you're looking at a future play, the problem is you go, well, the, the winner's got to come out of the AFC, not necessarily. Because the NFC could have three potentially elite teams, whether they turn out to be Tampa, the Rams, and or Green Bay. I'd like to throw my Cowboys in the mix, but that would be a homer statement by me at this point because I really only look at those three teams in the NFC and say those are the best three on paper. No, I think the Cowboys are probably – fourth or fifth choice. But again, they're in a division like the, like the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. They're going to win their division. Um, I think San Francisco is the one wild card team you feel comfortable and confident in saying that they're going to be a wild card. Uh, they could potentially win the division as well. I, I don't think anybody's a clear-cut choice in the NFC. Look, the Packers have failed miserably the last two years. Oh, boy. So it's hard for me to back them. Now you've gotten worse offensively without Devontae Adams. Markedly worse. Speaking of Devontae, Parker got traded today uh, to the Patriots. What do you make of this former first-round pick uh, from the Ville back in the day? And you see the move here. So it doesn't feel like... At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like a, you know, it's not like Tyreek Hill going to Miami, and you can understand why Parker is now expendable. But, you know, Belichick has a way of doing these things where – all of a sudden, those big-bodied receivers, Belichick likes to get those. What do you make of, of Devontae Parker in New England? It's going to be interesting. You go back to 2019, he had 1,200 yards receiving. The last two years, a bit of a drop-off, 793 and 515. Is that on Tua, or what's the reasoning for that drop-off? I think he's a guy that can contribute extremely well. I like his size. Um, you know, I want to see how Mac Jones performs next year. That's going to be another question mark for me. I thought he had a great rookie year, but can he keep that up? I thought they had a team around him that was built to succeed. I thought he went into the best situation of any rookie. So Parker's a guy, I want to see how they do. But one thing I'd point out, if you look at historically in New England, wide receivers have not excelled. No. They, to your point, I was watching because I have no life, some of the old Super Bowls with the Patriots recently. Yeah. Remember Malcolm Mitchell? Yeah, Georgia. What happened to that kid? Like he blossomed in the Super Bowl. And he's writing right children's again. books. It's amazing. <laughs> like Belichick finds these guys. I'm not saying that's going to be Devontae Parker, but it would be interesting to see how he utilizes him because these guys, he gets the, the best out of them. They might not be big time names and then they disappear from the ether. They just go away. When we come back, back to the final four. We're getting close. A couple hours to go before we get to the first tip. So we'll talk about that. Come on back. It is the, the Sports Betting Network. If you don't have Wendy's, what are you doing in your life? Because it is the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from Wendy's stack starting lineup, like the breakfast baconator, croissant combos, hot or cold coffee. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends. Oven-baked, sizzling bacon, freshly cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and Simply OJ to bring it all home. Make a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru. Pick up the Wendy's breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. Dave Ross alongside Amal Shaw. This is Betting Across America right here on Beeson. It is a pleasure to have Steve Wiseman join us. He is a Duke beat writer from the Raleigh News and Observer. Amal, that was the paper I aspired to write for when I worked in North Carolina way back in the day. Steve has made that a reality. Steve, we got to talk about those Dukies today in the Final Four against UNC. Look, Tobacco Road, you know it better than most. It's got to be jumping today. What's the pulse of just Tobacco Road as a whole, it feels like this is like basketball nirvana. It is, yeah. And you know from working here, what what Duke and UNC mean, and, and uh, you know this is the first time they've ever met in the NCAA tournament. It's a it's a huge rivalry. Even when they you know, just play regular season games, it seems like the first time they play in February is really when the basketball season begins for a lot of people, right? It's right after the Final Four and everything. So um, yeah, like the whole state has pretty much been. <laughs> on edge since last Sunday night when the matchup became official and, you know, the governor declared it, uh, you know, a proclamation about 
uh, you know, the center of the basketball universe is North Carolina this week and, uh, and all that. So it's, uh, and, and I know you said a little breakfast ad there. It's been like, you know, everybody's been up this morning, like waiting for tonight to get here. And it's still like, you know, a few hours away, right? We still got another game before Duke and UNC play. And uh, it's just like, you can't get here fast enough because there's been so much build up to it. Steve, how do you see this game? I thought the key in this game for UNC is going to be Brady Manick and Baycott staying out of foul trouble. I thought if Williams gets in foul trouble, Duke could overcome that, though. That's a very good point. And, uh, you know, Baycott uh, had foul trouble uh, in Chapel Hill when they played uh, in fe- February 5th when Duke won that game handling. That's the reason why they won handily because Baycott got two fouls in the first four minutes of the game and he was out. And then that really changed everything. So, you know, his battle with um, with Mark Williams inside will be a, a great you know, game within the game to watch them, uh, you know, push and shove in there and, and see who can get the edge uh, in that, in that thing. Duke does have Theo John as a backup, which is something that Carolina doesn't have a great backup center. You know, Theo John came into this uh, tournament with more instances like tournament games uh, in, his, in his past than anybody else on Duke's roster. Because, and how about that for a thing, right? That's usually not the case at Duke, but he played all those games at Marquette. So he's experienced in the tournament and that gives them an edge if they do get in foul trouble. But, uh, you know, Manning's probably going to be guarding Bancaro. Uh, that's what they did in, in Cameron. So if, uh, if, if Bancaro could get Manning in foul trouble, that would be another thing that would be on, on Duke's side. Talking with Steve Wiseman, Duke beat reporter for, and writes for the Rally News and Observer. Steve, you know, I wonder, you mentioned that the uh, earlier meetings, and certainly the one that everybody remembers is the last regular season game for Kay in Durham didn't go his way, and maybe he was a little bit angry after that game here. What's been the difference since that game? And I know Virginia Tech, they lost to them in the ACC final. But what is different about this team now that we saw from the end of the regular season to get to the Final Four? Well, they're far more connected defensively than they have been pretty much all season. Now, they were pretty good defensively early in the season, like when they beat Kentucky and Gonzaga. But they kind of hit a little lull there. Uh, starting with that Carolina game to end the regular season, and then even in the ACC tournament, they weren't great. And and then they lost that game to Virginia Tech, but they gave up, I think, 82, 82, 67. So that's a lot of points for Duke to give up. Uh, but then they, they had you know, three or four really hard, tough practices in between getting back from Brooklyn in the ACC tournament and the start of the NCAAs when they went to Greenville, South Carolina. And they really hadn't had a chance to do that for a few weeks because they had so many road games and all that stuff going on. And that, that really seem to, to kind of get them, get them righted again defensively. And they started using that zone defense in the second half when things get a little hairy and it seems to calm things down. It works really well against Texas Tech and again against Arkansas in the regional final. Um, the Dukes only played zone like four or five percent of the time this year, but when they do, it's effective. It kind of, it kind of um, uh, uh, overwhelms teams because they're not used to seeing it. The Jim Beheim effect them all. <laughs> they got that from, from, from Jimmy B. Exactly right. From his USA basketball experience with Jim Behan, he came over to the dark side. First, first of all, I like the zone. I don't want to tell Dave that because he went to say he's a big Syracuse guy. But to me, the the one thing is they do it in such intermittent spots. I think it really yeah. works effectively. Steve, in ter- yeah. in terms of this matchup, if the win, whoever wins this game tonight, do you believe they're the ones cutting down the nets Monday night, or do you give? I, I think Kansas got a great chance to win this national title, but I hear a lot of people saying Duke uh, UNC winner is probably going to win it all. How do you see it? 
I don't see that as a sure thing at all. Yeah. I think uh, Kansas is a great team, and whoever wins this is going to have to prepare for them, you know, in, in like 48 hours, right? And uh, uh, and also they're going to have to get over the emotional hangover of this game. I mean, there's no way you can just put that aside and not have it affect you for a little bit. There's just too much involved here. Uh, so, no, I think uh, – and another thing on that point is the Kansas and Villanova people, the players, the coaches, they kind of feel like they're left out here, like they're the undercard, right? So um, they're not that's, – that's not sitting well with them. <laughs> and so that's going to be a little edge on their side that, oh, yeah, by the way, we're here too, and, like, we both won three national championships. We're not – you know, we're not nothing here. We, we've done some things in our programs too, so you should respect us. And but they're getting, you know, the coverage is obviously the Duke UNC, the historic nature of it. But uh, but that is going to make a difference coming into Monday night, I think for sure. Yeah, it takes a lot to overshadow blue bloods like Kansas and Villanova, but yeah. Duke and UNC is certainly doing that. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting, Steve. Obviously, we know this is it for K, whether it's it's tonight or whether it's Monday night. But this is the end. John Shire is going to take over. You know, Hubert Davis there kind of was in a similar situation there. I don't know if people saw Roy Williams walking away and Hubert taking over, but the the Shire role in this this team's development, how much has he had a part of it, or is this really Kay, then this is his last hurrah? Because it felt like he wanted to make the point after that loss to Carolina that this season and this team is not done. He did, yeah, very much, and he's he's proven correct. He knew they had more more championships to win, more hurdles to clear, and they were able to get it together and do it uh, by getting here to the Final Four. So, but to answer your question about John Shire, he has been closer to uh, like head coach duties this year, obviously, than ever before. Everybody knows he's taken over when the season's over. So he, um, I had a, had a conversation with him a couple of days ago where he was telling me how, you know, he he has like conversations with coach K differently than he's ever had before, you know, and it's not even a formal thing. Sometimes it's just like, Hey, you know, we're talking about this aspect of defense or this guy, how he's playing on offense. And, and it just goes a little deeper and it's more, it's more meaningful because he's taking that in knowing that's going to be his role next year. Well, heck, not next year, next week, right? We know no later than Tuesday, he's going to be the head coach of Duke basketball. So, um, uh, he has uh, uh, taken that taken that role seriously, and Coach K's involved him in, in some things and tried to to use him in ways he hasn't before, so that he's he's as prepared as possible. To Steve's point, hopefully it'll be about ten thirty Central Time tonight that he's taken over. But uh, <laughs> Steve, I, I got to tell you, I think John Shire is going to do a tremendous job. When you look at the recruiting, Rivals has their uh, recruits one, two, and three coming to Duke. I think Shire gives them an influx of young, youthful energy. Forty year age difference between him and Coach K. Played there. I like his disposition, an intelligent guy. I really think, look, I'm not saying he's going to win five national titles by any stretch, but I don't no. think the drop-off is going to be as precipitous as maybe people anticipate when you have a change from someone like Coach K to a young guy like Shire. Yeah, it, it's always hard to be the guy that follows the guy. That's the cliche, right? So it's, and it's true. And But if ever somebody was set up to have a success, it, it's John Shire because he's had this year – runway to get ready and to do all the recruiting. And he's been the guy that that's why coach K stayed home last summer and didn't go out recruiting. Cause he, you know, didn't want to be in a, in a home and say, come to Duke, I'm going to be your coach when he's not right. So um, it was John Shire doing that. It was John Shire going to the peach jam and all those summer events, uh, walking into the gym with Duke gear on and everybody's looking at him and he's the guy. He's not, he's not in case shadow at that point. He's the guy doing the, making the offers, uh, recruiting guys, telling them what, how they're going to be used at Duke, all that. So um, that's given him such a head start that, you know, Huber Davis didn't have other coaches that have done this kind of thing didn't have. And, you know, Huber's made, 
the Final Four in his first year. So now the pressure's on John <laughs> to, to follow that way. It's Duke and UNC again, right? It's always something with these guys. But uh, but uh, John is really a smart guy and and prepared. He's never been a head coach, so that's clearly the one thing. Now, he's had a couple of games this year where you know Coach K was ill, and so he filled in at Wake Forest. They won that game. He filled in the second half against Wake Forest at Cameron, and uh, Duke ended up winning that game. So he's had some on-the-job experience, but uh, he's going to be new uh, to it here in a few days. Only have about 30 seconds to go here, Steve, but very quickly, Coach K in the swan song here, has he been able to enjoy this? Or again, what we see those kind of like, we're not done, kind of the, the emphatic nature of like, I'm not going quietly into the good night. He's had to enjoy it because he's uh, he has he has um, soaked in some of the moments and and like the, the last game of Cameron obviously didn't go well but before the game was a really special moment with all the players on the court he did enjoy that you can separate the two but uh, now he's he's focused on you know he's, he's got regular season title he's got the ACC he's got a final four now he's going for one more thing and uh, he's really enjoying this ride. Steve, really appreciate the, the time and the uh, conversation. Again, does a great job, Raleigh News and Observer. Enjoy this Final Four. We'll see how long the road lasts here for Coach K going forward. When we come back, we will break down more of this Final Four. Come on back. It is the, the Sports Betting Network. Everything you need to bet on baseball this season with 24-7 streaming daily best bet emails, including advice, data, and strategy for only $19. Our all-digital MLB guide at VEASAN.com is available now. And Adam Burke has futures, team previews, and best bets for all 30 teams. Plus, Jason Weingarten's MLB future bets, trends, and more. Sign up today. Get full access to VEASAN through the start of Major League Baseball season, which begins next Thursday. The Masters and the NFL Draft for only $19 at VEASAN.com slash spring. Dave Ross alongside Amal Shaw. This is Betting Across America right here on VEASAN. Very quickly to that end about Major League Baseball. I was all ready to fire away. Because what I like to do is, if I've got a team that I have a rooting interest in, my dad taught me at a young age, don't bet with your heart, bet with your head. Right? Don't always follow that advice. But if I find that our experts and our knowledge and when we do our research, if it matches a heart play, then I play it. So I was all ready to fire on Metropolitan's over 91 and, one, 91 and a half wins. And then, boom, Jacob DeGrom. Should I shy away? I have not placed it as of yet. Because once I heard the DeGrom news, by the way, they're not even going to talk to DeGrom about getting back for a month. This is a month of the beginning of the season of 162 without your ace. And I know Scherzer's there. I know Chris Bassett's there. And they got a better rotation this year. But without DeGrom, that's the ace of aces. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Um, you know, I think it's a huge blow when you lose a pitcher of his caliber, but here's the problem. He could, he's never given you more than 150 innings right now. And he's really struggled from a health standpoint. This team already was struggling offensively. You needed a pitcher like him to go out there and limit you to zero or one runs in six, seven innings. I think it's going to be a challenge for this team. What did the number drop from 91 to 88 and a half? I believe so. The concern is how long is going to be out. I mean, if it's a month, then you think he'll be okay coming back in. But is he really ready to pitch at a Degrom level by the second month of the season? Excuse me, by the third month of the season, so you still have four months remaining. This feels like an all-star break thing to me. I mean, when you start doing the math, right, and the calculation, how many games, that's why you see that drop, three wins off the win total down to eighty-eight and a half. Because again, 
they're not even start discussing it for a month. Yeah. So it's like people that go, oh, I'll be back in a month. No, 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 no. It's like the Jimmy G thing with his shoulder. He's not eligible to even start throwing until June. Yeah. So you don't know if he's going to be ready for camp if you're a Niner backer. Same thing with the Metropolitans here. I'm with you, all. This is a huge blow. I would be more apt if I were to now go down the board and look at the Phillies and the Marlins. And we know that the Braves there, obviously, is the reigning defending World Series champs. I think the other teams are now in play in the NL East, and that's going to make it very competitive in that division. When you take away DeGrom for at least a month, but more realistically, I think you're looking at two months, maybe even the All-Star break. Yeah, That's a huge one nail in the floor for the coffin of the Metropolitan. So right now he went on, he underwent an MRI that revealed he's got a stress reaction on his scapula that has caused uh, inflammation in that area. The immediate prescription is for Jake to discontinue throwing for up to four weeks. Uh, no throwing for no four throwing, weeks. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, you're just coming into spring training. So the ramp-up time, you're probably looking at six, seven weeks here. I think this is going to impact the Mets immensely. You figure if things went really well, he'd probably get 30 starts. I'm not going to go with the 35 standard that you calculated based on, but 30 starts, let's say you take away five starts over the course of a month, you're looking at potentially 20 starts he makes. How effective can he be? How uh, impactful is he going to be? <sighs> Just say, you know, as a long-suffering Metropolitan fan, 2015 was the last time we went to World Series, lost to the Royals somehow. You know, it's been since 1986. I get jokes a lot. People are like, you know, your teams haven't won a whole lot in a lot of years. Like, the Cowboys haven't won since 95. The Mets haven't won since 86. Syracuse hasn't won since 2003. I went to VCU. We did go to a Final Four, but we haven't won it. I got a lot of – there's a lot of angst in there. And I thought this was the year that I could really count on those Metropolitans to get something done. They weren't winning anything. They were going to play the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were going to put a nail in their coffin. But let me tell you something about that 86 Mets team. Yes. I don't know if there's a team in the last 40 years – that by the general public is more popular than the 86 Mets. Because remember, everybody watched those games on WWOR. I mean, I can tell you everything. I remember Ray Knight hit the hit the walk-off oh homer on July 4th. Come on. I, I remember all the games, the sweep in St. Louis. The punch to Eric Davis. Oh, that was great. The extra great innings right game. Hand. Jesse Orozco uh, playing out in the outfield. I mean. Left field. Absolutely. Yeah, Dave doing that well before Joe Madden. Exactly right. I mean. So, you know, it's unfortunate the Mets have not been as strong. Um, the one thing I'll give Mets fans credit, they're loyal. Their fan base is loyal. They never go to the other side and cheer for the Bronx Bombers. No, we don't do that. By the way, I love Yankee fans and Laker fans. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe we didn't win. You know what, dude? It's set up for you guys to win, and you still can't win. Uh, by the way, the win total for the Yankees was also the same as the Mets, which has now dropped from 91 and a half. They're 91 and a half. I look at that, and I go, that does feel low to me. I hate the Yankees. I mean, look, we're a Mets fan, but money's money. And I look at that and I go, Mom, I mean, if they get back to being the Yankees and DJ LeMayhew starts to hit again, and you, you kind of get those bounce back years. I thought they had some guys had a down year and they still have murders row in the middle of that lineup. I mean, can they pitch enough? I, I know everybody's talking Toronto and I get it. And you understand why with that murders row. I don't know if there's enough pitching in Toronto either, but I'm all, I'm kind of thinking I would never admit it in a court of law of playing the over Yankees 91 and a half. I get where you're coming from. I'm going to give you a little pushback on the Bombers, and here's why. Okay. You mentioned LeMahieu, and I actually think Severino, if he's healthy, can be very effective Big for Sev. this team. I like Jamison Tyone, but can he stay healthy is another question mark. However, in the middle of this lineup, when you look at this team, they got too many guys uh -oh. that can't get on base. Outside of Rizzo and LeMahieu, Aaron Judge, Mr. Strikeout, not quite as bad as the guy behind him. Joey Gallo, <laughs> this guy should be nicknamed the fan. 
I mean, this is look, a new day and age in baseball now, Maul. That's uh, now drives accepted. me nuts, by the way. I know, but this is now an accepted practice. Go Jim, ahead, Jim Carlos Stan. Guys are good hitters if they bat 275. No wonder why Joe Morgan thinks he's better than he is. 271 lifetime hitter walks around like he's damn Todd Cobb. You're right. It's we've really dummied down the scales, right? Because yeah. now everything is going to be about war and certainly strikeouts. At least you're not making two outs. I guess is the theory. If you have men on base, it is about driving in runs. They're going to score runs. I'm with you. They do need some bounce backs. I don't know if ball and play is ever going to be a part of this lineup because it does feel like it's a heavy strikeout lineup. Fair enough. But at that same point, do you want to be hitting solo homers? I mean, you got to get guys on base and, you know, when you're knocking them out, one run homers are not going to beat you. No, uh, it's the two and the three run homers that really put up a problem. I, I just look at this lineup. I don't see the consistency, but I think there's flaws with every team in, in the American league. If you had to play the either, I'll give you either league in the NL East or the AL East. And I'm always again with the New York side of things here always captivates my attention. Which New York team would you play? Would you play the Yankees or do you think the third best in that division? I would play the Mets because I think Freddie's loss in the clubhouse is huge for the Braves. Mm. Acuna is going to be out for a month. That's right. Uh, still some pitching concerns with the Braves. I think Philadelphia could be the one surprise team. I like them uh, potentially at the four to one number to win the division. But here's the thing to me. I don't think Kevin Cash and Tampa get enough credit for what they consistently do, which is find ways to win games. No team uh, right wins more than the Rays do in terms of non-conventional methods, right? There'll be a time where they score, they'll win a game because they put up five innings, uh, five runs in one inning, can't score the other seven, but they win that game five to four. This is a team that just finds ways to win games. Plus 240 for the Rays. I, I'm right there with you. I feel like they, they, we just don't talk about it. They're just not sexy. They're not the Bombers. They're not the Red Sox. And now the Blue Jays are the chic team, and I would caution people of hopping on that train right away. Because normally when the general public says, this is the team we love, that's the one to watch out for. But remember, with Aaron Judge and uh, Anthony Rizzo, they will not be able to play in the road games in Toronto. Mm. That gives an advantage to the Blue Jays in that matchup. Think about that. Every time those two guys are out of the lineup in potentially, what are we looking at, nine games north of the border? So That's that, a great it, it, It's something that has to come into play. I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with Rizzo, I think his ability to get on base, what he brings for you defensively, he adds a lot for that team. Um, I get your point if you say you don't like the Blue Jays. I mean, I think they got a tremendous offense, but the pitching still remains. No, no Robbie Ray. I mean, he's gone. I know that's why everybody's hopping on Seattle. Let me tell you, Robbie. How, how about that? Everybody's hopping on Seattle. And we had it with Mike Peronio over at Gym and at Mandalay Bay. And he says, well, I got to do some more research on Seattle. Everybody's betting the Mariners. Um, you know, when Mike said that, I wanted to say, Mike, you know, I don't. Don't worry it. about it. What, along those lines, I was going to say, go ahead and spend that money that's come in, okay? <laughs> Remember 2001, 116 and 46? Oh, do I ever. And they're still not winning anything, okay? They are not winning anything, but I get the point of why people like them, because that division is anemic. The Angels, outside of 2-3-4 in that lineup, Rendon, uh, Shohei, and Trout, they don't have the pitching. You look at uh, Texas, I don't even know what they're doing. Oh, my. I, I, I'll push back a little bit on Anaheim, because I think if you get a healthy Noah Syndergaard to be your ace with Shohei, then you could have dueling aces potentially, Yeah. right? I do believe in Joe Madden. That is actually one of the teams that, that I'm going to play the over uh, on their win total. I haven't played it yet because I think they could be an 88-win team. It's not sexy, and I know Houston's still the cream of the crop in the West, but I do th- Madden's experience, you mentioned it with Tampa. Yeah. He did it with Tampa, right? Absolutely. Then he, gets, he ends the curse in Chicago with the Cubs. That's right. not no small feat. 
I'm not saying it's going to end with Anaheim. He's going to figure out a way. But I think they're going to be a much improved ball club this year. I, I, that's a fair argument. My uh, one thing I would say is this. Uh, I think the Syndergaard signing might be the best signing in the entire offseason because he's one year, $11 million. He could potentially yes. pitch like a Syndergaard we saw in 2017 in New York. He could have a huge impact there. I'm totally with you on that. And I like to see the power of Thor. See if he gets his hair back and his flow back. When we come back, and go out to Jim Root. He is in New Orleans, one of your favorite cities. I can't wait to get his take on what's going on in the Big Easy. Come on back. Betting Across America right here in VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Sportsbooks unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas? Come on out. You can convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining, shows, and hotel rooms at over 20 MGM Resorts properties located on the Las Vegas Strip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dave Ross alongside Amal Shaw. This is Betting Across America here at Circus Sportsbook. And again, today's a big day, obviously, with the Final Four. And it's a real pleasure to have a man who's right now on site in the Big Easy at the Final Four. He is... Jim Root. And Jim, I got to say, been following your Twitter since you've been down there in New Orleans. Follow him on Twitter as I do at Second Chance Point. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And you put out this tweet last night. Stock up, attending the Final Four in general, hand grenades, beads, (laughs) Adults falling down in public. Those are all up. The down. The guys on bourbon with giant snakes, parentheses why, and the general smell of vomit and horse turds. How is New Orleans treating you, Jim? Uh, it is It is a truly a delight. You know, obviously, <laughs> there are some negatives to it. But, hey, no matter how much you love someone, there's always a little bit of an edge to them that you're, you're not a fan of. And for New Orleans, it's the smell. The smell is the problem. But... 
everything else has been great. The weather's been fantastic. Uh, we've got a, a whole bunch of basketball going on down here. The, the three-on-three thing is going on. The all-star game, the dunk contest, three-point contest, all building to about an hour and a half from now. Uh, so I, I, the fact that I'm surviving and I'm ready to talk to you guys is, is a testament to, uh, to just battling through down here in the bayou. First of all, Jim, I love your Twitter handle name. That's great. Second chance points. points. It's going to be so crucial in this game coming up later on tonight in the second game and the first game as well. Let's start with the game uh, between KU and Villanova. Obviously, everyone's concerned with Justin Moore being out. But it seems like to me, at least here from a Vegas perspective, everyone has just completely overlooked Villanova. Yes. And I think that's a big mistake when you look at Jay Wright. I don't know, Jim, if you would agree with this, but I don't know if there's a program in college basketball whose team embodies and does what their coach wants more than Jay Wright's team. Yeah, I I would. I think they're right up there with Houston, the team they beat last round. I think both those two are just the epitome of what they want with their coach. It's almost uh, whoever's on the court is going to execute the mission. It doesn't matter. Like obviously Houston had their injuries, but then now you look at Villanova without Justin Moore and sure. I have reasons to be skeptical about Brian Antoine and Chris Archie Diacono, the guys that are probably going to get some of the bench minutes, but man, that starting five is stout and they are just so principled. They, they know what, how they want to play. And I think today that means slow the game down. Uh, but yeah, just the, the culture that they've built there, the consistency they have in, in player development, Villanova is as, as good as anybody else in the country right now at all that. Jim, you mentioned that Villanova is going to try to slow it down. Obviously, tempo is going to be a key in that game. Kansas is going to want to speed it up. And we saw Bill Self, uh, and they were able to do that in that second half against Miami. How do they speed up Villanova in your estimation if you're a KU backer today? Man, it's tough. That that's that's kind of the the thing about Villanova. You know, that second half against Miami, you mentioned they started the forced turnovers, and that really fed their transition attack. Get get some easy runouts. I know McCormick had a huge dunk. Baji had a dunk. It, that really got those guys going. Villanova doesn't really turn the ball over. I, I mean, maybe that's an area where Justin Moore's absence shows up more, and he's he's one of the best in the country at taking care of the ball on high usage. Uh, so that's a concern, but. Yeah, I think Kansas is going to really try to get some pressure going, use their depth, and maybe it doesn't wear Villanova down early, but throughout the course of the game, get into their legs, some extra added pressure both in the half court and full court, and eventually they can crack a little bit like we saw Miami do in that second half. So I definitely think that's the goal of KU is to, as much as they can run, get up and down and force this Villanova team to play a lot more possession. Jim, I don't know if you've been to the press conferences for KU or not. The one thing that I've always felt with Kansas happens in the tournament, same thing with Matt Painter and Purdue, is they seem to get tight. Kansas Mm. never seems to play to the level that they're capable of. In your observations so far, how do you see this team? I feel like Remy Martin's kind of given them a different dynamic. I don't mean just on the floor. I meant from a personality standpoint. If this team is not tight, I think they should be able to win this game. Yeah, I buy that. I I think that's a great... Uh, perspective on it. Like when, when they even uh, got Remy Martin to commit, it was surprising. It was like, is this really a bill self guy? Yeah. Uh, does he fits the culture. They're not really a grad transfer program. They like to, to mostly develop internally. Uh, so that was the question mark, but we've seen the positive parts of it uh, over the past, you know, two weeks since he got healthy for the tournament, a couple scoring explosions. I mean, specifically the first half against Providence when neither team could score Kansas was able to build the leads only because Remy Martin was able to knock down jumpers. And so I think that's also going to be huge tonight uh, because Villanova switches a ton defensively. They force you to play ISO ball because ball screens don't really set up uh, any sort of advantage. And Remy Martin's a great one-on-one player. So having him in the rotation in the mix is going to be massive for them. 
both from a personality perspective, like you mentioned, and then also just an on-court execution matchup uh, perspective as well. Talking with Jim Rube, follow him on Twitter at uh, Three Man Weave, and Second Chance Points is his Twitter handle. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the crowd, because normally in a Final Four, that's not an issue, right? I was there in 2013 when Syracuse played against Michigan and Louisville went on to win that national championship. And it's all compartmentalized if you've never been to a Final Four for those people watching and listening. Jim, is this all Carolina blue and, and Duke blue? Are you seeing those shades? And, and do you actually think there is such a thing as a home court advantage for either one of these teams tonight? I, so far, I, I was out on the court uh, just up until about five minutes before we were talking, and there's a lot more Kansas fans here already in the student section area, but we did go talk to the Villanova fans, and they said, don't worry, they're coming. The tickets have all been purchased. They're apparently just spending a little extra time on Bourbon Street, which, you know, I can't blame them. Thanks for a little bit of a rowdier crowd. So I, I would estimate all four fan bases are going to be extremely well represented. I would, I would agree probably with a, a tilt towards the late night fan bases, the, the North Carolinas, and especially Duke, knowing that it's Coach K's last year. And, you know, if, if you're going to go to a Final Four, this is a great one to do it. Uh, but I, I think we'll have a relatively even uh, matchup in this first game with maybe a slight tilt towards Kansas. Jim, I don't know if you have an allegiance to any one of the four schools, but if a fight breaks out, I would tell you right now, <laughs> got to get with the Nova crowd. Yes. These guys from Philly are definitely, they could take out all three teams in a street fight, no <laughs> no doubt. I'm, I'm, that's great for me because I'm a Mizzou grad, so I don't want to align myself with Kansas. <laughs> I'm up over to the Villanova side, the Philly boys, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a great handicap. How do you handicap the big one here? Because obviously Duke and Carolina, the Blue Bloods, Coach K, as you mentioned, never uh, matched up in an NCAA tournament, let alone a Final Four before. What do you make of this? Because I know some recency bias, people are going to go, hey, Carolina handled them uh, in Durham. What do you think is going to go down tonight? I think it swings the other way. Uh, I, I think Duke is, is the side I'm looking at both from a betting and just a, an outright pick perspective. I, I like Duke a lot first half. I think they come out dialed in uh, after that embarrassment, frankly, at, at Cameron indoor. And the, you, you at least get to rule out any potential backdoor shenanigans, like a three at the buzzer or something. So I, I always kind of lean towards the first half, but then also with this blue devil team, I, I've said all year, I think their best, is better than everyone else's. That's just the, the first round NBA draft talent that they have. I think the level that they can get to is so incredibly high. And they started to really exhibit it lately. Second half against Arkansas, final 10 minutes against Texas tech. They just have a gear that uh, even North Carolina at this stage doesn't. And I think they've been able to access that. So uh, I'm definitely leaning towards Duke there. I think you make a ton of excellent points, including getting beat by a three pointer by Chris Duhon in the old four semifinal. Wow. I can attest to, but <laughs> You know, you brought up a point that I said earlier. Carolina's got to survive the first four minutes of the first half before we get to the under-16 media timeout. I'm with you. I think Duke's going to come out absolutely on fire. Now, again, if, if Carolina can knock down shots and go punch for punch, then I think we wind up in a tight game. But as much as I hate Coach K, I think the Blue Devils are playing Monday night. Yep, I agree. I, as soon as I saw them break down and kind of scorch that Texas tech defense that ranked as the best one in the entire country, I, I, I swung all the way over. I was like, all right, I'm done doubting this blue devils team has it. They've they found the gear. Uh, and obviously Carolina has played with them once and then Duke had a 14 0 run in the first half that North Carolina was able to weather and come back and, and be really efficient in the second half. But I don't think we see that kind of let down this time around. Uh, I, I, I think Duke kind of wins not wire to wire in like an easy fashion, but I think they get up early. Maybe they lose the lead a little in the second half, but then they get back and, and, and win comfortably by something like seven to nine. I'm right there with you, Jim. And again, if you want to play Duke in the first half, you got to lay two and a half points, but that is going to be a play I'm going to make 
uh, before this day is over. But, Jim, very quickly, got about 30 seconds to go. You like Duke in this half. Who do you think Duke does play Monday night, and who's cutting down the nets ultimately? Uh, I think it'll be Duke over Kansas. So I, I think Kansas wins, but I do sort of lean towards Villanova on the spread. I think it's close enough to a toss-up that, that it'll be close. And I also love the under in that first game, Villanova-Kansas. I think it's a slow, slow crawl. All right, can't wait to watch these games play out. Hey, Jim, really appreciate it. Great tweeting. Have fun in New Orleans and enjoy the Final Four tonight. Will do. I'll, I'll let a couple more tweets loose tonight. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be on the lookout for him. There he is, Jim Roof. Follow him on Twitter at Second Chance Points. When we come back, we're getting closer, Mall. About an hour to go before tip-off of game number one in the Final Four. Come on back. It is Betting Across America right here in Beeson, the Sports Betting Network. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.